The following is an archived podcast presented by the Branson and Hudson Foundation for Podcast Recovery. This podcast is entitled Movie Me, Moved by Movies. It is the first and only episode of the podcast. Welcome to episode one. Welcome to Movie Me, Moved by Movies. I'm your host, John Fisher Millions. We love movies, and I've, I'm joined with some great movie friends to help review some of the late summer flicks that are creeping into theaters and streaming sites. We got some movies to move you movie, and some great film movies here to help you dissect them. Let me introduce my friends. To my right, everyone, please welcome Clive Devine, a very well-known letterbox reviewer. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Clive. To my left, Reese Soulstone, a self-styled film, film reviewer for the stars for the local Hollywood news station. Say That's hi. right. I'm the film reviewer to the stars. When Mr. George Clooney turns on his TV, he sees me talking about his film. Finally, He's got an answer to me. We are joined by if Barbara If his film's Thro- not good, Shut up. Oh, he God. got an answer to me. Finally, we are joined by Barbara Throat, a film enthusiast who just got back from spending a summer in France. How are you doing, Barbara? Bonjour, John. Well, it's great that we have everyone here gathered today, and we're going to get really dive into some movies right away. How's that sound, guys? Oh, don't mind if we <laughs> that do. That sounds amazing. I love movies. I love movies. I'm moved by Saintly mo- Tom mo- Hanks movie, moved by plays movies. the role of Goodman Brown Jr. in The Good One with Tom Hanks, a wealthy philanthropist who wakes up one morning and decides to save everyone. He throws open a big bay window and screams, Good morning, America. I'm going to save you. We see birds flying, butterflies in the air. Everything's going great. And Goodman Brown gets everyone to the big town hall to declare he is going to end racism, give everyone free health care, and discrimination towards gay guys and stuff and he's going to get give everyone free ice cream for life hey talk about a sweet deal the movie twists and turns as more and more bad men try to stop goodman brown he outwits and outthinks them all it turns out that this goodman is a good man and that one good man can make all the difference in the world to me, they should call the movie The Good Film instead of The Good One because it is a good film and it shows you don't need any conflict to have a good movie. I give this movie one million stars. What do you guys think? I mean, I thought that it was it was a misnomer. I think I, all in all, it quite simply fell short. I, I do think that Hanks, as always, gives a, a lovely performance. I think Tom Hardy was great as Evil Jim. Um, the, um, the nude scene really caught me off guard, but I loved it because I'm a fan of foreign films. I thought Lance Reddick did a great job as his best friend Buster, and I quite enjoyed the soundtrack by Hans Zimmer, but that's really all I can remember. You know, I'm with John Fisher Millions on this one. Uh, in my review of this film, I said, it's funny how they call it the silver screen when it gives us so much gold. That is funny. I I, never thought of it that way. The soundtrack is incredible. I love um, the track Buster's Lament is very moving. Um, I've been listening to it on my Walkman. Um, but uh, other than that, I think um, that and Tom Hardy's performance are the, really the high point. I thought it was right. very brave how they decided to have not one, not two, not three, not even four, but five separate train songs play during the movie. Oh, all simultaneously, too. At the same time. At the end, yeah, they were all going at once. (laughs) 
Alchem, everybody yeah. keeps walking in, you know, at, at the end of the movie, it's a big celebration scene. He's in the middle of the town hall. Everyone's lifting him up on that big chair. And you can see the whole crowd that is lifting him. You know, it's it's all different races and creeds and people who are hurt and injured and veterans. And they're all wearing different flags and they're all lifting him up as his hero. And we hear drops of Jupiter start playing on one boombox. And then another guy brings in Meet Virginia on another boombox. I'm like, there's mm-hmm. too many trains. What is this? What is this? Grand Central Station? You know, John, you mentioned something in passing there that I think is really important that in film these days, we're getting a lot more uh, racial diversity and gender diversity, but you're not seeing a lot of different creeds out there. And I'm glad to see so many creeds were represented in this film. Oh, yeah. They had a lot of creeds. They had guys in togas. You know, they had they had guys with like shaved heads and togas. They had every different <laughs> creed you could think of. They had all the guys there. You know, I remember thinking like this movie's got every type of guy in it. And uh, I was right because at the end, Tom Hanks is young Goodman Brown Jr. Uh, he saves them all and he, he never re- uh, goes into temptation. Uh, you know, he always triumphs in the face of everything. He's fair to everyone. It was a beautiful film. I thought it was very nice how he saved all those different kinds of people. And, you know, he didn't even do it for praise. Even though everyone praised him for it, he didn't do it for that reason. Yeah, he did it because Mm -hmm. he realized that we need to save everyone, you know? He does say that a lot, doesn't he? Uh, uh, He often says how he's not doing it for the praise. (laughs) Right. He's, he's constantly saying that throughout the movie. You know that song, I thought that that song on the soundtrack called I'm Not Doing It for the Praise really added some emotional heft to those scenes. Well, yes, absolutely. There's so much that in movies where there's so much of that, you know, people love subtlety. But I really like respect how in the good one, they really just have Tom Hanks walk up to people and point his finger right in their face. And go, I'm going to save you. I'm taking care of it. I got you. Well, what's the point yeah. of subtlety when you have the gravitas of a Mr. Hanks? You know, he's walking well, into the I hospital found, with there, all that cash. When, when, he, when he finds the gravitas, when um, Dr. Doctor Neutral gives him the gravitas and he uses it against Evil Jim, I <laughs> love that scene. The effects were incredible. Well, even, you know, the, uh, the Evil Jim stuff, every single other person in the movie who held the Spear of Destiny was corrupted by it. But when Goodman Brown Jr. is holding the Spear of Destiny, he's not even moved. Evil doesn't even have a chance to speak to his heart. That's true. And it's it's... I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. Oh, it's okay. Maybe, about it. maybe I did <laughs> get like you this some movie. tissues here. You just said you did I, like it. You guys it. spoke that it's that it. doesn't have to be subtle, but it does have its moments. Like when you find that, you know, Goodman has that birthmark on his back in the shape of a, a crucifix. And I think he's kind of a bit of an analog to Christ. Somebody say he's a Christ like figure. Yeah, oh, yeah. And he says that the birthmark is so heavy, he's got to walk like he's carrying it on his back. And we see him go down the streets of Rome <laughs> for well, like he's 15 always, minutes. You know, He's always carrying asleep people on the beach during the movie, and he's bringing them from place to place. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know, they wake up, they only see the one set of footprints in the sand. They don't know what's going on. They're like, how'd I walk over here? And then they realize later on when they see him carrying more people down the beach that, well, Goodman Brown carried me when I couldn't carry once, myself. Once everyone is stacked up on the beach, it's really <laughs> just a, a fantastic image. I was really confused in that scene where they spent a few minutes explaining how he had his footprints removed from his feet, kind of like Men in Black with the fingerprints <laughs> for some reason. Uh, so I, I couldn't understand why he did that. Well, but I guess he was a really humble person. guy. He didn't want to be identified. That's not, that's not what footprints mean, Reese. Well, that's also when, when they show Evil Jim's feet. They must have CGI yes. digitally altered it or something because it looks like he's got 
you know, hundreds of tiny little grooves on his feet, just like a fingerprint well, does. I, I think Tom Hardy, as a consummate method actor, I heard he submerged his feet in water for five days straight oh, wow. before the filming. Yeah, that kind of level really... of pruning would really be permanent damage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Truly, I mean, nerve so. pain. You know, it's, it does. They do get their money's worth. It shows them for about, I think, throughout the film, maybe seven full minutes of. <laughs> he was Sometimes the- he'll be talking, and it's zoomed in on his feet as he gives us. Not to mention Tom Hardy's interesting choice of sounding exactly like Woody Allen. That was very particular. Oh yeah, that was I, a brave. I, choice. Well, he, he did direct the film. Mind. That. Yeah, I think it was the insert character. It's interesting that Woody decided to make his insert character the villain. Yeah, it's <laughs> well, it was produced by Ron Howard, and it definitely has his touch to it. Well, I remember at the um, at the red carpet, he actually wasn't able. You know, they that he they wheeled him in on the red carpet because of the permanent foot damage. He was just you know being wheeled around with these huge bandages. <laughs> in the Hannibal Lecter thing, yeah, like his <laughs> huge bandages around his feet. You know, made him look like moon boots. It was so many bandages. So, you know, we we really hope him a speedy recovery because we really appreciate it when actors put it all on the line for the audience. Mm-hmm. Would you Can guys mind pe- if I would uh, read a, a review of another Hollywood action blockbuster? No, let's keep it moving. I don't know. You guys might have seen this film already, but this one is called Nonconformist Gunslinger 4 Rebel Renegade. Hollywood's leading man, George Caesar Clinton, is back again, (laughs) reprising his role as the secret agent, Tim Blaster, slinging bullets and executing bad guys in a harrowing, action-packed epic that will take you to the edge of your seat and your sanity. This adrenaline-pumping summer blockbuster is part popcorn flick and part psychological thriller as secret agent Blaster tracks down a drug-dealing, chain-smoking madman hell-bent on destroying the world with an evil nuclear bomb. Longtime fans of the nonconformist gunslinger franchise are well aware that Tim Blaster is not free from his peccadilloes, and in this movie, he's not afraid to show it. During a particularly compelling scene in the third act, where it is revealed that the nuclear bomb can talk, Blaster (laughs) shows no remorse, shooting the bomb in its anthropomorphic face over 300 times before it can finish explaining its dastardly plot. Action fans are well aware that Tim Blaster has a license to murder, and in this film, he has all the tools he needs to do it, including a gun. Yes, there's no shortage of thrills, chills, and spills for fans of this hallowed franchise that checks all the boxes for a summer blockbuster. And that sound you hear? It's not just the summer cicadas. It's Oscar buzz. I give this movie seven bullets to the head in a good way. Yeah, I thought that wow. movie was fantastic as well. I really, really admired, uh, you know, I believe it was the late Gilbert Gottfried's voice on that nuclear bomb. And, uh, you know, even though he doesn't talk that long, when he gets shot up, you really, really kind of feel it. Um, I was expecting the bomb to explode, especially as he kept shooting it more and more and more. Uh, But, you know, the idea of even not having the nuclear bomb go off on top of our our hero, I found that was a a very interesting choice that a lot of action movies wouldn't have made. Well, I think the bomb couldn't explode because it was getting shot too much, you know? Like, it didn't have time to explode. Well, Reese, I, I lo- first of all, I loved what you said about the Oscar buzz. Um, I think that was fantastic. That was fantastic writing. And I also would love to say that I unfortunately think this movie was slightly derivative of um, the last James Bond movie. I can't remember what it was called. <laughs> um, 
I think it was Skyfall. I think it was called Roger Me Something. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> anyways, um, but I did I did enjoy this. The Dwayne the Rock Johnson cameo was delightful. Oh yeah, they kind of teased a post credits thing with him. Yeah, like he, it was funny Tim that he Blaster. reprised his role as the Tooth Fairy from that other movie. <laughs> yeah. It was really interesting. I, they, I'm and gonna they, have to. I'm gonna have to agree with Barbara on this one. I found it to be quite derivative, even though I did enjoy certain parts. The one, uh, I mean, 194 minute runtime is a bit steep for my taste personally, but I did enjoy the Demarcus Cousins cameo as well, and I think it was a lot of, <laughs> lot of good action. The effects were amazing, and I think if they do a sequel, they could really, you know, patch this thing up and give us something that's worthwhile. Well, well I. See- I know you're complaining about the 190 plus minute runtime, but how could they pack in action on any shorter run? Like that scene, some people call it gratuitous when uh, Tim Blaster was just doing donuts in a parking lot for 15 minutes. But that was so (laughs) cool, right? Like the shots on that car as he was whipping it around, that was insane. I love hearing that one part of Soul Ride on or Slow Ride on a loop for <laughs> for fifteen minutes, yeah, it was <laughs> over great. and over again. Just the first line. Well, slow the ride, needle drop, that needle drop of Soul Asylum is so heavy hitting near the end there that I was, I mean, I weep. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 song, that song started right when Dwayne the Rock rest. Johnson showed up as the Tooth Fairy. I was a little I, I, confused by the the cliffhanger there at the end where Tim Blaster. Uh, you know, tells uh, you know Samantha Greege, played by Mindy Kaling, that uh, he's got to go for a fight. But when he gets back, you know, when he gets back from the war, that he's going to show her a monster in his pants. And since he never comes back, we never figure out what he was talking about. Uh, I, I'm not sure what monster he was referring to, or if I missed that part of the movie. I just I didn't exactly pick up on that. And I found that cliffhanger interesting, and hopefully, you know, if there is a sequel, which it sounds like there will be, uh, you know, he's going to go back and show her that monster, whatever it is. I, well, I I don't want to spoil anything, John, but um, I the monster is referenced in the the Blaster books, which is the um, spinoff uh, young adult novel series. Oh. Um, that um, goes on. I don't want to spoil it, but let's just say the monster is Dracula. Oh, wow. Well, well, we got a lot to look forward to. I'm not surprised that John's not familiar with that series of books because I saw a rumor going around on Twitter today, John, that you are illiterate, actually. Oh, well, that's just a rumor. You know, people say it's sad. That's what it is. It's just sad. Well, they're saying that you really like movies because you don't like because you don't have you know, to read that, that, that you know I you know that we even have to answer to this is you know just I mean, it, yes it, or show, no. it just shows what society's been like lately that like oh you're going to ask me if I can read okay oh yeah oh you're going to just go around well, asking and John, people that? if I could come to John's defense here I haven't read those books either cuz they're for young adults but I do remember reading an article by the EV club that described them as Deadpool meets Ben 10 and I thought <laughs> that's perfectly accurate to the film i think too and you know movies are just books that you don't have to read i i want you know, circle... to use your brain to think about what it would be like in that book you just see it in front of you because the work is done for you oh it's like a book that uses your eyes 
I, I want to circle back to this because now I'm realizing, uh, John, any, every time I've ever texted you, you've called me right after and asked me <laughs> what I just said to you. Well, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just you wondering. Know, I, like to, I have my way of doing things and I kind of just like, you know, I'm sure you have your own way of doing things. Uh, That's uh, true. And Clive has his own way of doing things. I do Ray have my says, patented, yeah, you know, barber throat way of doing I have my way. You know, it's fine. That's what I just said. It's, it, 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 yeah, I know that you have questions, but it's, it's fine. Just don't just don't worry about it. It's fine. It's all so under wants, control. Why don't we, why don't we get a, to another review? Yeah, let's talk about another flick. I could go. Oh, please, Barbara, go ahead. Okay, so today I watched the newest movie, Le Dracula de Bois, which is uh, the French language debut of uh, one Siming Liang. It's I found it middling. Uh, oh, let me just read this. <clears throat> His French-language debut, a middling, plodding effort from the style-over-substance charlatan Siming Liang, a proposition, though not a convincing one, on the duality and effervescence found in the gray or blue-gray spaces between the neon-lit lights of the streets of one's youth and the dark, barren skies of middle age. Honcho Lomax's rote take on Dracula feels hollow and soulless, as if he's just going through the motions. All in all, it just quite simply falls short. A disappointing effort from Psy. Well, I thought the effervescence of the gray and blue was had me on the edge of my seat. I think they really captured, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the kind of emotional weight of being a French vampire. Uh, I mean, I found that their use of like, what if he drank blood like it was wine from a wine glass? I thought that was an amazing interpretation of a French Dracula. Uh, that I was well, really I, blew my mind. I, I disagree. I think that the Drac, I just couldn't buy into his insouciance. Oh, he he was a bit daft, you know, and I did find him a bit daft, daft and insouciant. Oh, I found him yes. delightfully insouciant, like when he was explaining to the non-vampires how there's a region of France that only has there's a blood type that's only found there, and you can only call it type champagne if it's from that the blood is from that region <laughs> the champagne oh, I region yeah i see what they did there i didn't <laughs> it took me a minute until just now but i i do understand well now. it's a very sophisticated intellectual film so i bet a lot of the viewers it kind of went over their head i mm-hmm. i like how they you know they they had so many tones where this this vampire equated uh, uh sexuality you know, with his his drinking of blood, I thought that was a very interesting interpretation. That 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 this dr- drinking of blood was a very sexual thing. I'm I'm not surprised you all liked it because the male gaze. Okay. Oh yeah, the gays love it. Say. The gays, the gays the love gaze. the French French movies. Yes. So <laughs> you know, uh, you know, the male gays are you know they're they've always been very good at, at, at understanding films and and higher mm-hmm. level stuff. I feel like so. I think yeah, you're right with that one. The male gaze in this film is so prevalent, and you see them all over. They are limp-wristed, strutting around. I'm so <laughs> sick of seeing them in movies. I am so sick of it. We, that's know, why we need more female well, directors. We, in the 90s, well, they all, used to be funny, you know. Yeah, that's they're why not I kind funny of like, anymore. They're serious to, French Dracula. To kind of go off of Barbara's point there, I kind of that's why I enjoyed you know the work of uh, you know the recent smash hits by Taika Waititi because he's kind of like a woman if it was a straight man who acted gay <laughs> and because of that he can have a lot of sex with women mm-hmm. and he's still he's gay like- He's like if a but man. He's not, well, he's not gay, but he likes to like kind of act oh, like. I was oh, just you know, trying to agree of... with you. I wasn't trying to make my own point. I apologize for calling him gay. Mm. 
Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> Has anyone else seen any other films lately? I just saw the Kathy movie. The live-action Kathy reboot starring Kate Upton. Kathy has made the jump to the silver screen, and there's nothing to act about because this adaptation is as smooth as chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. <laughs> they put saucy Kate Upton in a bunch of dirty sweatshirts and dyed her hair brown, and while her looks don't pop, her performance sizzles. Having it all in the big city, going nuts, constantly getting her period once a week for the last 10 years, getting married? Why not? Kate Upton does a really great job of bringing Kathy to life, and the scene where she gets her period twice really cements her status as a great comic actor. I give the Kathy movie one million stars. Did you guys you know, see I, it? <laughs> yeah, I, I do think it, it makes quite an interesting addition to the, the comic strip extended universe, and I'm kind of wondering if they're setting up maybe like a crossover movie with Dick Tracy and Doonesbury. Cause you know that Doonesbury blockbuster, we talked about that last summer. That was a hell of a movie. And it just seems like they're setting it up so Doonesbury and Kathy have like coffee together or something in the next one, you know? Well, the Doonesbury movie is a little bit more cerebral, I feel like. And from the trailers, yeah. you know, I haven't I haven't seen the whole thing yet. But from the trailers, it seems very political. Where the Kathy movie was very universal, didn't really go for the same kind of je ne sais quoi. But that's why, can you imagine the two of them having a political discussion? It'd be magnificent. But Kathy's just talking about chocolate. Well, bad working family. Yeah. Not to circle back to this, but I, I, I saw the politics right there front and center in the Kathy movie. Because as you know, it's directed by Greta Gerwig. And there is no male gaze to be seen. There are none. It's just Kathy. It's, I loved the choice to have it just be Kathy in an empty room. <laughs> One take, one shot, the entire movie. I was just going obsessed around with that. from her apartment, <laughs> yes. and just like being like, "Oh, I hope he calls back." You know, oh no, I hope he calls there was, back. Oh, these ditches are piling up. How am I supposed to get this done? I, I appreciated their decision to go straight to film with this one, nothing digital. But there was that awkward moment about an hour into the movie where they had to replace the reel, and you and you see the guy come in front of the camera and switch the reel out. I thought it was kind of cute how they had Kate Upton's World Series pitcher husband, Justin Verlander, voice Kathy's husband in the movie, and their dogs were voiced by their young daughter. <laughs> yeah, the talking dogs in the Kathy movie really were. I, I, You know, you hear about a talking dog, and it sounds like such a trope in, like, corny family-style movies, and this wasn't at all. It's very well done. The dog is a very interesting character. Well, also, they give kind of cute hints, too, like Irving, her husband, says, Kathy, this, this dinner is a home run. Kind of like a reference to Justin Verlander mm -hmm. being a professional baseball player. It's also reminiscent of the film... Double Team, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dennis Rodman, where in the film, Dennis Rodman plays an arms dealer, but the whole movie is full of basketball references, even though his character doesn't play basketball. <laughs> yeah. But they know, they know you know it's Dennis Rodman, so they're like, hey, remember this? I, I do love that um, the Kathy movie passes the dog Dell test where the talking dogs talk to each other about something <laughs> other than the people in the movie. <laughs> I also like, it's kind of like um, what Clive is saying here. they're both voiced by the same child. There's a lot of stuff yes. for the viewer that happens outside the world of the movie where the, the dogs just keep saying to, to Kathy, I'm your daughter. I'm your daughter. <laughs> the, I love when the dog is kept telling her to kill her neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> 
thought it's was... also cute that their that their actual daughter in the movie is addicted to Clash of Clans at her iPad, <laughs> which Kate Upton is the spokesperson or was a spokesperson of Clash of Clans in real life. Oh, I hear it's that she meta. still has uh, one of the biggest clans in all in all the servers. Well, you know what else is big on her? Her talent. No, I don't. As an actress. Why don't you tell what? me her screen? Why don't you What's tell me what big else on is her? big on her? John knows. I don't know. Oh I don't know God. what you're talking let's about. Let's get to another review, shall we? Ooh, I've got one. This one, maybe let's let's get away from anything too body and get to a family flick. This one just opened last Friday. Google the Goose's Goof Off Garden the movie Google Goes Gaga in Gollywood. Beloved avian icon Google the Goose takes his star turn on the silver screen in this family-friendly blockbuster that will have parents and children alike giggling with glee. In the film, Gugo and his human pal, Mr. Smiles, set off for Gollywood, which we're led to understand is Hollywood for geese, located at a quaint pond just down the street from the real Hollywood. Gugo's performance is just as electrifying as it is educational. This movie's curriculum covers the letters G through T and numbers 8 through 24, packing in tons of lessons for kids and a welcome refresher for adults. Most critics would agree that LMNOP is a legendary stretch of the alphabet, a flawless <laughs> sequence often compared to side B of the Beatles' Abbey Road. But no matter how well you know your ABCs, you've never experienced LMNOP quite like you will in this film, as Gugo sells these legendary letters with characteristic aplomb. This family-friendly flick gets a full 12 goose feathers from me, and it will have families honking in joy, enraptured by the antics of this very educational goose who is completely free from peccadillos. I mean, I thought it was wonderful. I didn't, I I didn't see I this had one. Kids, so I could have brought him to Goo Goo the Goose's Goof Off Hard. I saw it alone, and everyone was looking at me. Everyone was mumbling about why I was laughing so hard, where my kids were, you know. Everybody was talking about it. I wish I had some kids to bring it because I found it incredibly delightful. Every time Goo Goo said some words all dumb and cute like a child and messes stuff up, I laughed twice as hard than before. I thought it was I, great. Well, John, perhaps you could take my children because I would never take my children to see a film like this. I would rather take them to see something like Satan Tango or Goodbye Dragon Inn. I... Because movies like this, they simply dumb down our children. Well, we if need your our children, children need to learn their letters and numbers, this is a great movie to take them to. I will never have my child learn letters. <laughs> what about just starting it off on some simple letters? I really like how Gugu doesn't try to teach kids too much. You know, just part of the alphabet, this movie, it was an hour and a half. They couldn't get through the whole alphabet. Yeah, and he's trust not bringing me, up things like trying. W or X, these more conceptual letters. They're going right for the hits like LMNOP. And honestly, if you think you've heard the alphabet recited well before, I mean, like, I've seen uh, Laurence Olivier recite the alphabet, okay? I know what I'm talking about. And this was something on a whole nother level. It was magnificent. Simply put, I, the alphabet is nothing without LMNOP. John, I, I, I do love what you said about how it, it seemed like it, they were trying to do the whole alphabet but couldn't fit it in. And I thought that was very strange. <laughs> the that kids they, were not paying attention. They had to keep they snapping were in front of the kids. They, hey! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah we're, Goo, we just did E, man. Pay Google attention. kept being like, come on, come on. We got to get through these. <laughs> Google kept checking stressed. his watch the whole movie. <laughs> He's 
seemed very stressed. He was sweating, he was sweating. bullets. Yeah, it was like he had this really nice, like diamond encrusted Rolex too. You can tell that the Hollywood life's been pretty good to him. He kept trying to put that in our faces on film. I don't this, think they this fear in could... his eyes when he kept looking off screen at someone that <laughs> you could keep hearing one of the child actors' parents on their phone in the background. Yes. <laughs> Well, I didn't see this film, and you guys might not know this, but I'm kind of the trailer guy. I review trailers and um, watch all the new ones that come out. I kind of will get an idea of what a film will be about or what a movie's you know go, trying to go for just from the trailer. I don't know if a lot of people can do that, but I sort of have a knack for it, and I've kind of built myself a little corner on uh, my space, and my you know my letterbox has you know. 3,000 followers now, which is, you know, pretty good. And um, they've asked me on their podcast multiple times. And um, I I found that, though I didn't watch the full f- feature, I, just from the trailer alone, Gugu's blatant misogyny did not sit well with me. And I wanted to say, you know, people say, you know, there's nuance to it. You know, it's, it's not, you don't have to, it's, this isn't like a moral thing or something like, but you know, it just, are we really going to be platforming that, especially in something that's directed towards kids? Well, see, it's weird that Is you that didn't what? watch the full movie because while Here the trailer was incredibly misogynistic in the film, all that stuff was cut out. <laughs> It's they true. really did cut the, the trailer. trailer to be so misogynistic. <laughs> they were they were going. <laughs> they were using a fisheye lens whenever they were f- shooting from the female child's point the of view. Where, for- yeah, the part in the trailer where Gugo kind of corners Mrs. Quackly in the <laughs> <laughs> kind of punches the wall the behind pond. her head. <laughs> yeah, punches the wall behind her head. That actually, I don't even remember seeing that in the in the full length. In film. fact, there are no, no women in the, in the entire movie. Now yeah. that I'm thinking about, it. yeah, I mean, children. Like there's female. There's female children. You know, but I don't know if that counts. And I also, well, I didn't know it was misogynist. Well, you can't be sexist towards a kid. Well, I, so. I didn't. What yeah, gender is Gugu? I'll give them that. Is Gugu a man or a woman? I don't think was that ever well, said. Gugu, I think Gugu is a man. Well, he's goose. a goose. Yeah, he's a goose. Well, the part where you see Gugo's genitals in the trailer. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. removed from the movie. The movie, yeah. I would stress Who's again, is a family-friendly trailer. Really- the trailer, the trailer <laughs> the had a trailer thing at the is- beginning saying this trailer's rated R, and then at the end it said this film is rated G. Yeah, and and it said G. That's where it stops in the alphabet. So yeah. yes, if you know yeah, G, you get to the letter R, and in the you movie, don't know anything me. else, then this is the great movie for you if you have a child if you're the parent of a child who only knows the first eight letters and the first 24 numbers get them in this theater right now in an hour and a half they'll know a couple more Uh, who wants to talk about the next movie here i can uh, i i want to ask john did you learn any letters from this i'm sorry (laughs) did you did this help you learn to read at all or are you still (laughs) oh oh that's funny (laughs) <laughs> that's funny i'm <laughs> being serious yeah no <laughs> me too <laughs> yeah what i mean i know my, I know my letters are made it's uh, refreshing you know it was refreshing to be reintroduced to these letters from a new perspective it's what like sound uh, does a g make it's uh you know it's like the you know it's the it's the g sound it's the you know it's okay i'm satisfied that's uh let's move on <laughs> you know what it that's funny though you're funny that's funny that's funny <laughs> 
I see you starring Noah Centineo <laughs> is a about a silly about about the scintillating Hollywood hunk playing a vivacious bubbly beauty who is in the hospital because he can't read. There, he begins a friendship with a young woman played by Kelsey Climax with heart disease. Mm, grave, right? But it's nothing scary, mind you. But her heart disease is that she cannot understand the concept of love. Her heart is tragically broken. Together, he teaches her to love, and she teaches him to read. And soon, her heart opens up for him. Suddenly, the movie jumps towards their wedding day, and we see Noah sitting at a typewriter, writing the end to a new book he just wrote. I give this movie one million stars. You know, you kind of glossed over it. It didn't just show him writing the end on that book. It showed him writing the entire book start to finish for about seven hours. And I loved thought this It movie. had to be on the, the edge of my seat as each was, sentence was appearing. Yes. And, you know, when he, he learned messed to up, write he kept so messing up. <laughs> he, he wrote it so quickly, but he kept messing up on the last page, one word, and he had to restart that page over a hundred times. I'm not surprised that uh, John John glossed over that part because he probably couldn't read the words on the screen. Yes, truly. <laughs> no, I, he was typing at the end and, uh, you know, it was in the middle and it was at the bottom. So that's funny, too, though, that you said that, though, because, you know, it's a shame what people say on the Internet. It's a shame they're allowed to say stuff like that. And to who, you know, and it's like, why would they even say something like that just for some silly little laughs that they can have? I didn't see this movie, but I did see the trailer, and I found it to be quite sad. Well, I don't think it does. The trailer show you the end of the movie that I said. I realize in no, I mean trailers don't normally show the end end of the movie. Yeah, (laughs) well, it ends up being quite nice actually, and he's very handsome throughout the entire movie. But it's so sad. Oh, that's because he's brooding sometimes too. Um, I think trailers sometimes do show the end of the movie though, because I remember famously with that movie, The Sixth Sense. Um, the plot twist was right there in the trailer and a bunch of like dummies were in the theater and they didn't know it was coming. <laughs> they tricked them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the trailer of The Sixth Sense famously starts out with, um, spoiler alert, um, the trailer announcer guy saying, in a world where Bruce Willis is dead. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was very interesting. I think ICU is going to be a really big hit. And I also think that Kelsey Climax everyone's going to be copying her bangs. Her bangs in the movie are iconic bangs. Oh, they're Those radiant. are crazy bangs. And they're I can't stop hearing women everywhere talking about how crazy those bangs are. Well, how do you think she matches up against Zoe D, the queen of bangs? Or latecomer Zoe, Dakota Johnson. Zoe D, watch your back. There's a new queen of bangs in town. Wow, and I don't like Kelsey that we're Climax. reducing these women just to their hair. Why don't we reduce Noah Centineo to his cock, which we see three times in the movie, and it's one inch long. Well, yeah, why don't we do that? It's soft every time as well. Why don't we do that? (laughs) I don't understand why they would show his soft penis, during, especially during the lovemaking scene. His penis is completely (laughs) soft. And it's like, first of all, I don't know who's letting them have sex in the hospital, but they're doing it. And he's doing it with a completely flaccid penis. And he's he's using the buttons on the side of the bed to adjust the bed up and down for different positioning. He's using one of those. He's slanting it. He's doing. Neither of them are actually sick, you know, but he has sex with her in reverse (laughs) Trendelenburg position. And people don't even know how that was possible for them to film that scene. Uh, I, I heard that he studied in the mountains of Tibet and studied the Karma Sutra. 
It the part where he takes out a musket loader, one of those sticks you use to load a musket ball into a musket, and tries to use that to load his soft penis into the into her, was he I found that very very upsetting. <laughs> yes, I liked too. And how, I did. Um, the doctor who was watching them the whole time, played also by Justin Verlander, said, "Now that's what I call a home run." <laughs> Third base, you're out. I think he said at the also at one point. Well, he plays Dr. Verlander, who's a great, great intensivist character, and he's dating the nurse, played by Kate Upton, Nurse Upton. That's so true. And she's always, the whole time, you just see the nurse, and she's playing her Clash of Clans. <laughs> she's so distractible. She's chewing her gum. She's playing her Clash you know, of Clans. And, and, but, and you know, she's got, everything under, she's got everything under control because she's a good nurse. Well, This Noah, also passes the Dogdell test, also. What's that? The same two That's dogs when have a two dogs have a conversation about something other than the people in the movie. I really like when uh, when Noah and Kelsey would heckle the nurse Kate Upton and be like, you're not even doing anything. You're just on your phone all day. And she goes, you both are not even really sick. I don't know why you're staying at this hospital. <laughs> that is a really confusing ICU. part. Where they, they're in this hospital and they keep commenting on how sick everyone around them looks. Almost like gloating at yeah, them. He just can't read. He's not sick. You know, he's Huh. What was well, that? Oh, I was just saying he was just sick. He can't he just can't read. He can't he's not sick. Okay, interesting. But he's in nice about another movie. Well, yeah, go on. for it. Uh this one, I don't know if you guys have seen it yet. It's called a lackluster affair. Donald Lackluster is a gentleman who lives back in the <laughs> British days of yore in an old English town when they had just invented steam. His life is very plain and dull and gray, just like his home country of England, until he meets a quirky, quirky and eccentric princess named Princess Queen Elizabeth, who sets his heart astirring. Hollywood's leading man, George Caesar Clinton, is electrifying as Donald Lackluster, whose drab and dreary life comes across in full technicolor thanks to the magic of the silver screen. His infectious energy is matched by Hollywood's leading lady, Beatrice Porsche Cruz, who is vivacious, electrifying, and completely free from peccadilloes in her performance as Princess Queen Elizabeth. Her hands are so supple and milky, just like her performance in the film. Even though she uses modern acting techniques, such as pretending to be someone else, the film's veracity <laughs> of the olden times feels true to form thanks to all of the Hollywood movie magic, such as costumes, props, CGI trains, and CGI horses, and scripts for the actors to better remember their lines instead of having to make them up on the spot. Moviegoers with peccadillos will enjoy Donald Lackluster, and cinephiles who are free from peccadillos might relate more sympathetically to the lovely Princess Queen Elizabeth. Anyway, the film finally reaches its well-earned conclusion when the manic pixie dream princess chops off the head of the dragon that had been plaguing old London town in those days, only to realize that she also tragically chopped off Donald Lackluster's head, who was standing right behind the dragon where she couldn't see him. Oh well, I give this movie 10 lager pints. This silver screen masterpiece is a must-see for any true cinephile or film buff, but I suspect that even filmaholics and movie geeks will find something to enjoy here. Wow, I couldn't agree more. I thought it I, was a wonderful film. When she turns to the camera and shrugs at the end and says Butterfingers, <laughs> and then <laughs> the Looney Tunes end, end thing that says that's all folks. Comes and she holds up. up the Butterfingers candy bar to the camera as well. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. I didn't see the film, but I saw the trailer and I watched it numerous times because I really liked that slowed down, kind of stripped minimal version cover of punk rocker British band Pink Floyd's uh, We Don't Need No Education song. Oh, and that's when all the CGI horses are running. and Right, in slow-mo. Who looked very good, by the way. I mean, I could tell immediately that they were CGI because they were so shiny. But it's almost <laughs> like I feel like that's what, that's what he wanted, you know? That's what the director wanted. It was wanted. so shiny. The, the, the theater I saw this in, everyone in the audience screamed and had to avert their <laughs> eyes when the horses <laughs> Well, well many of the horses were coated in gold for reasons that were never explained in the movie. <laughs> yeah, you could see the reflection of the other horses in the horses. It was really like, you know, this is supposed to be an English countryside. And none of the people, regardless of how vivacious they are, even comments on the horses. They just you know run I'm through the to, middle of town. Are the, were the horses, the horses also had wheels and doors on them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm start. I'm trying to think more. Perhaps they, they were Barbara, like a Trojan horse. Barbara, did you yes. take anything before you saw the film? No, I think they might have been cars. I think that the movie Magic. Well, they were, no, they were cars neighing. and horses in the, the horses movie. Horses were neighing. They were yeah. neighing. They had wheels, but they were neighing. They were going <laughs> like, okay. Vroom, vroom, well, vroom. also yes, that one okay, that, that one horse does cut off the other horse, and the horse honks at him. <laughs> yes. That did happen. So I'm not. When, I'm, we're not gaslighting I, you. I don't think that's true. I'm sorry, and I do. What? I do love. I love in a movie when it zooms on, zooms into the gear shift of a horse, and you can see the the character <laughs> popping the clutch and it's slamming. It's a car. It's not a horse. What is happening? It was a in the in the context of the film. It was a horse. Oh, you know what? I saw the European version. Oh, the that European might be the version of the here. old fashioned English movie. <laughs> yes, the <laughs> European version. They took out all the horses because horses are native to America, famously. <laughs> Yeah, in the European version, there's a lot more cigarettes, and they just go to a club at 3 p.m. And Americans yeah, they edited Americans, out all the guns uh, and replaced them with cigarettes. Americans famously <laughs> hate fast cars and faster women, so they couldn't like, have any of that. We any. like our period dramas to have accurate horses instead of yeah. golden cars. Yes. <laughs> well, they still had golden horses, but... yes. Yeah, you gotta also, have a little movie magic. Also, all of the characters have cell phones, which I found it took me out of it a little bit, but I still found it a, a delightful interpretation. Well, they explained that the cell phones were powered by steam, and they had they, come from the they future, were always the burning the, their ears. They were very they, loud. They were very loud. <laughs> <laughs> there had to be subtitles the whole movie. They be on everyone's cell phones. <laughs> Whenever they like get a, a phone call, it's like a tea kettle going off. Yeah, they're burning yes. the side of their face, holding their phone to it as the steam blows out of it. Yes. Everyone had third degree burns all over their bodies. Yeah, I wonder. They were also vivacious. They were afraid of getting burned by their phones in the scene. Yeah, man, oh man, maybe I should take. stop just watching trailers all the time and actually see what's going on in movies these days. What the hell? Yeah, you're, yeah, you're, your you're self-contained out. kind of restriction makes only sense to you, I think. So I would. I mean, I wear three pairs it. of underwear every day, and just, just I try to evaluate and contain the the emotions of a trailer or film trailer and see what I can work with with less. Why does the three pairs of underwear have to do with that? I like it just firm. Is it just like all briefs or wait, so you change three you change them three times a day? No, I'm wearing three Oh at once. At all times, right. 
Like Looney okay. Tunes, yes. hearts? Yes, they're briefs. Okay. I was wondering, yeah, it looks like you're wearing a cod piece. <laughs> yeah, it does. It looks like you have a diaper on. Under yeah, you, your very pants. visible. Multiple lines in your khakis, <laughs> yes. I can see from all of your briefs. You should probably at least try to get similar sized briefs. But again, this okay. is a You're movie review. Out, right? Yeah, this is yeah, a we'll movie review. Not a, not a, you know, to talk about your underwear on TV, which you brought up, by the way. I have a, let's get away from these these American and also one British movies and let's talk about some some more foreign films. I saw the movie Le Momie de la Pyramide de la Terre, which is um, French for the Mummy of the Pyramid of Terror. That sounds smart. <laughs> Not even gonna touch that one. Hmm. Hmm. What can one say about Le Momie de la Pyramide de Terreur? It is, after all, a land of contradictions, much like the titular. Pyramid of Terror. The film is a monument, albeit an unfinished one. But then again, are not all monuments rendered unfinished by the moment they are completed? The film's object of laudation is not the Pharaoh's ghost, as the titular pyramid of the film's title, but rather the things gained and, moreover, left behind when one forges one's own identity and sense of self in becoming who they are. It touches deep nerves and it touches them deeply. However, the medium of the touch, the silk which acts as the catalyst and the barrier, is a silk glove woven by the worms of condescension and threaded in the loom of trivialization. Noam Chomsky shines through in his film debut as the titular mummy. A noble effort, but all in all, it just quite simply falls short. A disappointing effort for Roman Polanski. Uh, you know, it's it's funny because he usually, you know, he's usually so on the ball. And I thought Noam Chomsky as the mummy was inspired. Well, casting. I like the silkworms weaving the silk or whatever. That was good to me. Yeah, who played the silkworms? <laughs> the silkworms were all played by the Rockettes. I was wondering those little silkworms down there. They would zoom in. You'd see the camera slowly zoom in, and there'd be those, you know, the Rockettes all dressed up like silkworms yeah. doing it their leg It makes sense kicks. now why they were playing Christmas music over that. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of an Easter egg. A little bit of an Easter egg for you guys. Movies, they, they, they love having a little sensuality, especially, you know, the French. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know they're 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 a passionate people. You know they you know they they'll grab you right by the arm. You know tell for you those of us you. who watch who watch trailers, you know the trailer guy. A little bit of an Easter egg is this film was published by Amazon Studios, which you guys might already know. But the voiceover in the trailer, that weird HGA voice, HGH deep voice, that was Jeff Bezos. Wow! Oh my God! Oh, and did you guys catch the Stan Lee cameo where he's the uh, you know he's got the marionette? Yeah, he was mm-hmm. the marionette he's, guy. He's performing all the characters at the very end. It pans up and reveals that he is the puppeteer controlling every uh-huh. character. And and really, it, it makes sense because Noam Chomsky was walking like he was on strings the entire time. Even though I am told behind the scenes is a little Hollywood gossip that that was mostly laudanum and that he's the only guy who has it now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he still has laudanum. He still has it. He's not giving it up, so don't ask. But why are they roll him around the set like uh, Violet and Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory? Because he's so round, he's yes. just like a big bouncy ball, and he has the little assistant that pushes him around while he's just blasted on, <laughs> you know, antiquated opiates. They they had to use um, Polanski actually used um, Egyptian technology to to carry him up the the pyramid every day he had a bunch of workers workers not slaves not israelites that would drag noam chomsky up this mountain on like a wooden slab kind of 
And he kept. Oh, you know what? Down. I'm mixing. I'm mixing him up with Henry Kissinger. Basically, the same guy, right? I don't know all this. <laughs> yeah. <stuff. laughs> I think they're famously the same guy. I think they always go drinking together. Yeah, they may have their their quibbles now and then, but at the end of the day, it's their friendship that that binds them. Mm-hmm. And, but, uh, Much like the film. I, I saw another frightful flick recently. If you guys wouldn't mind hearing about it, no, go ahead. This one's called "The Haunting of Horror Hill." Frights and delights lurk in the shadows of a spooky, soporific town full of thrills, chills, and spills. As Hollywood's leading man, George Caesar Clinton, electrifies the silver screen in his performance as Ghouls Holland, a dead guy who turns into a zombie. When a teenage schoolgirl learns her grandma has been killed by zombies, she spends a night in her grandma's old mansion in order to inherit it. But it turns out, this haunted mansion is swarming with zombies, ghosts, ghoulies, creepy crawlies, and baddies. The always electrifying Beatrice Porsche Cruz is masterful in her role as the teenage girl, as a crazy plot unfolds in which she falls in love with Ghouls Holland, only to learn later that he is the very zombie who killed her grandmother. And then he gets zombie cancer, and she's sad about it, despite some of the bad stuff he did. This movie will have you screaming and crying from the edge of your seat, as movie magic makes you think that zombies and ghouls are absolutely real and will kill you in your seat. Over 100 people have died from fear while watching this movie, which adds a new dimension of spookiness to the fearsome flick, as the man sitting next to you in the theater could turn into a real-life zombie, known as a corpse, if he dies. Additional thrills, chills, and spills come courtesy of the good people at Sony Pictures, who have made this silver screen picture even more spookerific by hiring old guys who are willing to die on purpose in the theater (laughs) in order to scare cinephiles and movie buffs. Look out! That kindly old codger seated to your left might die on purpose to spook you. I give this movie seven zombies. I thought it was amazing. A guy next to me in the theater started foaming at the mouth and somebody came and grabbed him and dragged him out. And I was so busy laughing because of Kevin Hart playing the funny haunted painting that I barely even noticed his body being dragged. I didn't know the human body could make that much foam, but... See, I, I had an interesting experience. I It's a little embarrassing. Every single person in my theater died but me because at the very end, right when the right when the opening title came on, I dropped my glasses and I spent the entire rest of the movie on my knees looking around on the floor of the theater for my glasses. And damn it, if I didn't find him right at the very end, this is the final credits started rolling. <laughs> I, I stood up and I looked around. Every single seat was filled with a corpse. Oh, wow. Oh, man. I guess I got lucky. <laughs> Talk about a good night, huh? <laughs> yes. Well, you missed some very funny That sounds like stuff. a night to die for. <laughs> Except <laughs> that you didn't die, but I mean, you get what I'm saying. I thought it was weird that the protagonist was this teenage girl who was alone all the time, surrounded by zombies and a bunch of dead, empty houses. Well, she was trying to inherit the house by hanging out. Oh, there. I know that she was trying. It, just, it seemed weird that a girl who they keep saying is 16 over and over... Uh, you know, they never yeah. once show her parents at all or reference it, it, them. It's also very, very strange that um, that they keep saying that even though there are zombies, it doesn't smell too bad. <laughs> yeah. I kept hearing that from, <laughs> from yeah. when I was on the floor looking for my glasses. <laughs> I kept hearing. <laughs> 
I can't I didn't watch this film because I have a thing that is you know, trailers. a little bit of a you only watch trailers. Well, it wasn't that. It was I'm just a little bit prejudiced towards zombies, but uh we oh, will here we not go. go into that. Oh my but god. But the trailer was very tastefully done and I give it three thumbs up. So you d- you don't watch any movies ever, but this one you had an extra reason <laughs> because you don't like zombies. <laughs> well, I watch movies. Oh, okay. I thought you only watched trailers. I thought that was your thing. You watch portions I review of trailers. Movies. You review, okay. Oh. So you don't so you review So you won't comment on the movies if you saw them. <laughs> You've taken a vow of silence on the movies. Well, who wants to hear my opinion about a full movie? Well, what was the last movie you saw full? In the theater or just in the theater? At home? I think it had to be October Sky. Would you review okay, so October Sky ago. for us? Well, it was. I saw it last year at the Alamo Draft House. They were doing a screening. Okay. Night, so, um, well, it hadn't, it, the movie just never came to Texas until last year. You want me to do a review of October Sky? Well, just if you could just say it. Okay, I don't off think the top of my head, a review on a full length. Jake Gyllenhaal plays Homer Hickam, a loser in a nobody town who gets obsessed with a Nazi scientist and wants to become a Nazi scientist too. <laughs> Laura Dern is his teacher who he starts banging. Wait, no, that's not right. This movie sounds is this, great. This is yes, really affair with this teacher. I'm mixing up with Inland Empire. I'm sorry. I just <laughs> yeah, they should call it Nazi Empire. That was think, pretty spicy. I don't. Well, think, the Nazi part's true. Okay. <laughs> well, they should call it Nazi really Sky. Okay. Wait. So he's he's huh. he's a Nazi sympathizer who wants to build well, a rocket. He gets obsessed with uh, Werner von Braun, and who was okay. part of Operation Paperclip, famously brought a Nazi. Over Right. And then he's like, and he, his dad's like a Southern football coach, right? Who denies like, that he's sexual... with your gay Nazi rockets, Homer. It was called Operation football. Uh, Paperclip because the Nazis were so fastidious. They always were paperclipping their, their science documents together. Mm-hmm. Is that right? What's wow, that word right? mean? I never even thought of it like that. Uh, I have so another true. film I could review. Oh, please do. I have a couple more here. Uh, this one is a little strange. I decided to review a documentary. And this one's called XXX Unrated, Girls Gone Wild, starring Roger Clinton. Roger Clinton brings his saxophone down to Sacramento for what MTV has described as one of the most mild spring breaks of all time. There, he starts a raunchy rock and roll romp that can only be described as half sex, half alcohol, but all entertaining. Roger does some rogering. The crew gets into the crew gets some to laugh. We get people to laugh along with him as Roger Clinton enjoys some of the most beautiful women Sacramento has to offer. Spring has definitely sprung if you catch my gift. I give this movie one million stars. And a great thing about this as well, it's not a long one. Only 33 minutes long. Really gets your value in. See, I, I liked... This one was very French, and therefore I really enjoyed it. It was very... It had a, a very foreign film element. I loved how free everyone was. Um, I love that the woman kept saying, I like this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she was, I think she could have been a better actor. I approve seemed. of this. I enjoy this behavior. <laughs> yes, I, I condone yes, the behavior I, of yeah, Roger Clinton. I, I think this is great. I'm having fun. Yeah. I'm enjoying myself. Um, She's I always looking the out the window longingly. Yes, I, do, I do think the performance was very... I think they could have gotten a better actress. She wasn't really selling those lines. But other than that, I, I really enjoyed this. And 
I, I, I do think it had kind of a feminist angle to it. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, the way mm-hmm. he's always, like, throwing money at women, like, saying that, you know, <laughs> giving, you know, direct aid, really. Yeah, uh, saying, I I'm going to save you. Yeah. And then, you, you know, know what, one I'm scene t- where he looks directly into the camera and he's clapping in between each word saying, give your money to women. <laughs> Strippers. <laughs> it, it really reminds me of the good man in a way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he has a lot of, a lot of uh, you the know, good comparisons one. to uh, the good one. You know, Goodman yes. Brown in that film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Except, you know, it also, you know he's, uh, Goodman Brown isn't always asking people to sit on his hand. I have to say that film reminds me of another film I recently saw, which I think you guys would enjoy just as much as that one. Um, This one was called Ocean's 11 Inches. Uh, The latest (laughs) flick in Steven Soderbergh's storied Ocean's franchise is a bit of a head scratcher at first, leaving some of its filmmaking blunders naked for all to see. But true cinephiles will come to love its satisfying conclusion. Unlike its polished predecessors, this film's sloppiness is evident right off the bat, as the credits perplexingly misspell Mr. George Clooney's name as Engorged Clooney. And is it just me, or does Hollywood leading man George Clooney look a little Armenian in this film? In any case, the action opens in a hotel room above the famous Ocean's Casino, where Mr. Clooney is having explicit hardcore sex with two women at the same time. For the full duration of the film's brisk 23-minute runtime, we never leave this room as Mr. Clooney continues to pound, smash, and hammer his way through position after position of explicit hardcore sex. Yes, Mr. Clooney is free from peccadillos as he introduces cinephiles to a whole different kind of thrills, chills, and spills. Although Mr. Soderbergh's decision to turn this storied family franchise into a hardcore sex romp was initially confusing, by the end I was on the edge of my seat, wondering where Mr. Clooney's legendary load would land. This silver screen romp will leave your funny bone and your brain fully engorged. I give this film 11 inches. Wow, I... I did love Andy Garcia reprising his role as Tony Bennett in this movie. <laughs> he looked terrible, but I loved it. I was yeah. living for it. And you know, in the background where there's two guys that always argue, they're arguing about who gets to fuck this lady now, and they're, they're going back and forth the whole time. I thought it yeah. was funny. I thought it was fresh. I thought George Clooney did great. I've never seen someone fuck so artlessly. It was just like calisthenics. It was like a workout to him. There was almost a, a, a dead eye look in his face that I, 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 had chills, gave me chills. I enjoyed his decision to, to play this Danny Ocean as a, a, a guy who didn't speak English very well. And I loved him bringing that to the character. <laughs> I, mean, I personally like how Bernie Mac's character was played by a white guy with a tribal tattoo. I thought that was pretty interesting. <laughs> He had bright red skin and a gross earring, and he wasn't funny. No, but his, I got what he was going for. No. His earring was disgusting. Yeah, it was <laughs> hanging on by a thread. His gross earring. I was, it made his ear droop so low. I think it was infected. I really think it was infected. Well, like if you see a guy in the street with an earring like that, you're like, oh, here we go. I think he yeah. like had an ear gauge gauge or something, and he was trying to like let it close, but he still wanted to put an earring in there. So it was just kind of like flopping, like a piece of like cartilage in the wind. Yeah. You know, when the wind blew, you could definitely see his ear moving, uh, which I you know gave me a bad taste in my mouth. But, but other than I, that, I thought uh, the entire gang really did great. I'm, I'm looking yeah, forward to seeing more. 
Don Cheadhole was great. Um, <laughs> Matt Gayman. Um, <laughs> all, all your favorites are back, truly. I thought Brad Pussy was kind of a, a weak one, though, that name. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, not really a good porn name. Well, it's based off I mean, of Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt from Ocean's well, 11, I didn't. Was so this I a? Po- I think this was an Ocean's Eleven movie more than it was a porn movie to me. It still had all those like characteristic trademarks of the franchise, like George Clooney. You know. Oh, you know what? I watched the European version where they didn't um, CGI their bushes out. I think that <laughs> one's a porno, um, where they all have full bush. But I think that the American one is just a fun a fun sex comedy romp. You know, I thought it was cool how they somehow got the Corvette inside the house so they could have sex on the hood while it was in the living room. Well, it was in a hotel room. They yeah. parked it in the hotel room. <laughs> yeah, and I I really did. It, well, it, it was clearly a house, but they called it a hotel room, but that was someone's house. <laughs> well, like I think they, rent, they only rented it for house. one day to shoot the movie. You so can so tell that was a house. They, when they, clearly a house. You when can they see re- LA in the background. Yeah, when they revealed that the Ferrari GT250 was made of solid gold and that's how they did the tower heist. At the very end, <laughs> that was really incredible. It was and a little all- rushed, but I still think it, it felt pretty co- uh, cohesive, you know? Yes. I like at the end of the movie where they, they've gotten the car and the plan went without a hitch and they're all looking at each other, you know, and then they all just like kind of drop their pants. I thought, well, that's an interesting interpretation of male friendship, you know, in film. When, yeah. Like it was, I loved the echoing of the fountain scene where yeah. they're all just. Coming in slow motion well, straight into all, the air. You know, you're grabbing the guy on the left and grabbing the guy on the right, and everybody's kind of doing mm-hmm. it so you can form like a chain. You know, the yeah, only thing that doesn't make any playing. sense to me is why was it called Ocean's Eleven Inches? I don't know. That's an interesting I was, question. I guess I never thought. Yeah, of it. that's huh. That's very strange. Because if you give a man an inch, he's gonna want everything, and Danny Ocean wants everything. Yeah, you give a man an inch, mile. he's gonna take oh, eleven. That's, that's so true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You gotta think about it. Or maybe, Damn. maybe I. Yeah, I don't know. I have another uh, video uh, or another not video a movie I'd like to review for you guys. Oh please! Oh, tell us about this video. All right, this the title of this is <laughs> one is Taliban beheading video. <laughs> Taliban beheading video. <laughs> Right off the block, I want to say that people are losing their heads for this movie and in it. <laughs> Sweeping over stately Afghanistan, this short film aims for art house vibes while capturing the visceral intensity of religious violence. Hey, don't lose your heads if you can't find this one in theaters. You'll be more likely to scope it out on Daily Motion. This film struck me in the heart, not in the neck, and I'm sure it will strike you too, especially if you're an American contractor and or journalist. I give this movie one million stars. Great film. I I love that Andy Garcia reprised his role <laughs> as Tony Bennett in this. Yeah. <laughs> I, that was my favorite part. Oh, in the suit, standing on over the hill. Yes, you can barely make him out in the distance. The side, I, I like the duet the that he did with uh, Lady Gaga as the journalists were beheaded. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. They were doing the Diamonds Are Forever song for some reason. They had, you know, she, he was in a tux. She was in a ballroom gown. I thought that was a very, very artistic touch and i really didn't expect the miley cameo at the end there in the post credits truly truly and the cgi unicorn that they used it was i think there's a gas leak in the studio (laughs) i'm sorry um nothing like in a car have you have you not seen the trailer of this one clive clive i think we should i think we should just we just move on 
All right, the okay. next review I have here is called Donkey Explodes into Red Mist. If you want to see donkeys, this movie will blow ass, literally. This donkey would have done better to bray donkey's bray but it sounds like prey for life rather than run across the train tracks filmed beautifully in this 15 second video that i saw <laughs> on youtube retweeted by a guy named cooter master this movie does not disappoint it's good for one solid hee-haw and that's why i give it one million stars you know hollywood's leading donkey one. did a performance of a lifetime in that film and the you know what? I didn't. I didn't see this one. Don't tell me how it ends. <laughs> I want to be surprised. It is quite surprising. It, it is. You'll you'll be caught off guard because it really goes. It really you'll does. You'll be caught off donkey. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Mm? Mm? I'm gonna do something with that. Maybe a Shrek tie-in. Okay, I have one more. Go for this it. Is my review of Le Lou de Le Lou Garou de Chateau Effrayant. It's a shame that the genre or moniker or what you, will you call it of art house film comes preloaded with such loaded expectations. For every once in a while, a film comes along that has no interest in fulfilling any of them. This is not one of those movies, but it is a tour de force. The film reveals the true nature of reportage and cinema, which is about experience and not facts. And then, after the experience is revealed, the facts and the dishonesty of the reportage come crashing down, like so many expectations that are both met and unmet. A meditation on belonging in the world, a world which always collects its debts, whether you're ready to pay them or not. Thriller as the drama of time. Chanson Galoupe is a revelation, glowing with youth at 49. Absence and presence are deeply felt in every shot, every frame. A dissertation of the wounds of our past and the flinches we perform to avoid those future wounds and everything else. Melissa McCarthy shines in her art house <laughs> debut of the Wolfman as the Wolfman of the Sun. <laughs> A deeply emotional <laughs> performance which evokes wells and chimes at midnight. In summation, this is one of those films that one can't quite explain, one that defies all attempts to decipher an enigma, a mystery, and a revelatory answer in the form of an area by the great composer of our time, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. And keep an eye out for Werner Herzog as the delightful cameo as the Dr. Jekyll of the spooky chateau. All in all, it just quite simply falls short. A disappointing effort from Werner Herzog. I liked how the French guy or whatever who made it he balanced some of the reportage with some of the thrills, chills, and spills, which uh, Melissa McCarthy had in spades. Oh, and yeah. I just thought it was really interesting, even though I didn't know what anyone was saying. It was a wonderful film, and I remember thinking, well, this is a really hoity-toity, fancy person kind of film. And then I felt a huge amount of relief when Tracy Morgan shows up as the funky <laughs> doorman. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, you're a wolf man, girl, to Melissa McCarthy. And it's such a good, wholesome laugh that it kind of breaks the intimidation I had about the movie. And I just mm -hmm. found it to be amazing. It was, it was, a, it, this was one of my favorite films of the year. Yes. I found the trailer to be a meditation on the flesh and the metaphysical. Are you going to go on or is mm. it? Is that it? Is that the whole? Are you going to say why? Or? And I give it three thumbs up. <laughs> okay. That okay. was a one sentence review, I guess. I, I thought you were gonna. What was metaphysical about it? Was it that uh, you know the funky door? Did you man? see it? Yeah, I saw the whole movie, not just the trailer. So why do you why do you have to ask? Well, I guess the discussion is the trailer. I'm sorry. I just thought okay. I just thought it was. 
I won't bring it up anymore. Well, I know so far we've been reviewing films, but there's just one film I wanted to talk about that is about to come out this coming Friday. And I know some of us are looking forward to it, certainly. It's called Santa Drives an Uber. Oh, yes. We're all there. I'm very excited. I love it when, you know, uh, Christmas some, movies come out three months before Christmas. Some of us are more excited than others, I'll say. I'll just leave it at that. There might be some Scrooges in here. We agreed not to get into this. I thought it was a great film and this is a show talking film so we can talk about it and I expect you to act a little bit cordial as we do talk about it because lots of people like this movie. I guess we're going to cut this part out but films to me are about truth and Santa isn't real. Well, Santa driving an Uber was very real. Um, It was a great movie. It was family fun. I'm saying we cut it out because I do know most of our audience is 7 to 12 years old but (laughs) I, I just... I, DeSanta is not real. Films are supposed to be the reportage. Remember what I said in that review? I don't, but I think it was really, really. Well, smart. I don't I think would, Santa would, um, has to be necessarily real or not for this film to work. I think that it's kind of a reflection of our current dynamic in society of a you oh, know turning go. to our gig economy or you call it a fig economy, you know, <laughs> figgy pudding and all that. Um, but I digress. Uh, I think that I was smart. You didn't think it was funny when he also, got into the Uber? The trailer. The, the, the trailer, back anyway. seat was filled with presents and coal, and he had to move them to the side, and he said, sorry, I'm an Uber driver now. I used to have a job that was a little bit different. Well, and I, as, as I remember that scene, he said, I'm making some deliveries, but not for Uber Eats if you catch my drift. By the way, it's uh, December 24th at night right now. Yeah. And, you know, he's going around giving all these people rides and they're like, I'm never going to get there in time. And then they fall asleep in the back seat. And next thing you know, boom, he's flying through the air in his Uber and he's parking at their house, giving them all Christmas. Doesn't miracles. use his brakes. If I love you don't that like first... that kind of stuff, you don't like family. Fun. That's just wholesome family fun. Not everything needs to be some French bullshit. If you don't like a Christmas movie around I mean, hey. Christmas time, you should kill yourself. It's oh, early oh September. It's a Christmas, Christmas movie. If wow. you don't have the Christmas spirit, I'm sorry. I'm no, if enough. you don't have the Christmas spirit, enough. that's not my problem or something. If you don't have the Christmas Santa spirit. Santa isn't real. Santa isn't real, John. And and, and you know what? It does I know you, you, the silver the you magic of the silver screen. Chris Farley's brother does real. a great job playing the Santa. It's a fabulous summer movie that <laughs> shows a nice a nice summer movie that's about Christmas. <laughs> it's what we all wanted, right? Santa looks cool in it. He grows a beard. Tim Allen's not near it. If you don't like that, then I don't want to hear your shit. All right, because well, we've been I, I, up I, all this I thought shit. it was absolutely delightful in that first scene where Santa pulls up in his red car with reindeer decals on the side. And he rolls the window down. He says, ho, ho, ho to the rider. And the rider's a man who's like, you're lucky I'm a man because if I was a woman and you just rolled your window down and said that, it would be insanely weird. And Santa's like, all right, get in the back. Strap in. A great well, return I, from the great Aziz Ansari in that scene. <laughs> and I, you're who burying the lead that he plays Jesus in that scene. He plays Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in that moment. Oh, because he's, he's trying to get an Uber on, uh, to go to his birthday party. Yes. He goes to his birthday party and he's crucified at the he goes to his cru- own crucifixion which is also his birthday party. Well, I don't think the crucif never mind. Well, it was like he an was ironic one though cuz he was referencing the, the story. He's like all his friends like, "Hey, remember when this happened to me? Now I'm having fun though. It's funny now." The Jesus references did remind me of like, you know, the ninth configuration or something like that. Oh or, my god. Or something that like Tarkovsky was doing with like Stalker or the Crown of Thorns. I don't know. That's 
I just saw the trailer, but it, it looked really good. I mean, I oh, thought it was, it was super funny when Santa goes on the date with Kat Dennings and she's playing that she's chewing the gum the whole time. It's like, so what's your deal? Are you like giving Christmas, like giving presents? And he's like, yes. And Santa explains the whole plot of the movie to her really in about five minute scene where he's like, well, I fell in some hard times and people aren't as excited about Christmas as they used to be. And so now I'm driving Uber, but I'm still like a Santa and I still have like these magical abilities. But most people don't believe in me, so they don't see me do them. And I thought that was a really stripped raw scene. And I just thought it was great. And I think that you know if anyone has a problem with movies like that then they really just don't get the idea of movies yeah and you know like I mean, barbara was saying all... some stuff earlier that was like kind of offensive to people who believe in santa and was oh kind of God. implying that only children believe in santa but there are many of us in our 20s and even 30s who even continue our 40s, to believe, I believe yeah even yeah. our 40s we continue to believe oh in santa and every year around christmas we just get perplexed and really sad when no presents show up yeah um, i mean santa's I kind year, of a, like, a harsh mistress or mister or whatever, i've been really good this year so a harsh mister wow we can't even have us women can't even be harsh to you men you have to take that for yourself too well I, santa took it for us i think i didn't um, i don't think it. santa's harsh or do you want to be harsh or is that well, I'm not Santa. she's a woman oh <laughs> how's that well they oh. could do it. melissa mccarthy I, could be santa next year and i think that'd be a very funny movie you know well why Melissa McCarthy? Well, because, you know, in order to play Santa, you have to be like a great big person. She's like a funny, great big person. Wow. You know, like famous. Oh, so no, Santa has like to be a, funny now. No, Santa's, Santa, your, Santa's oh, funny. Wow. Santa has to be physically large. Like Santa needs to be played by somebody over six foot three. He needs to be over 300 pounds, you know, minimum. It's, it's a shame, John, that Santa can't give you the gift of reading for Christmas. I can I can read. I can read like uh, just name name anything. I'll read it. Um. How about the letter T? I mean, wh- how, what do you even do to? Well, how do you even? How do you even answer a question like that? You told him to. You how told you him to give you something to read. But how do you even? Do, you know, I don't have to defend myself. I read. don't have to. He I don't have read. to do this or that. I have a Christmas spirit. I tell you what, I'll have, I have a Christmas spirit, which something is you're lacking, and something that will break your heart. I don't want every Christmas year. Spirit. No, well, good. You're not getting it every year. I don't you're gonna get nothing my heart but gold, has been broken, and I'm going to get all of the presents that I want one of these years if I just am good enough. And one day, and Life one year, is more I'll be romantic good with a broken heart. Are we? Are we? I'm are we wrapping? Are we done here? I'm leaving. Are we done? Because I'm if leaving. I have to do, I don't know who Billy, clears this, but this is one of the most awful women I've done, ever Billy, met. In my Billy's life. saying we're done. Billy's saying we can wrap it up. And everyone wants to say I can't. John, read. John, and John, you know John, what? John, calm it's down. It's ridiculous. I won't even answer. This has the been question. movies, me, movies, me. Uh, yes. <laughs> in conclusion, <laughs> I give Santa drives an Uber seven presents. All right, I we're getting out of here. Out of this has been I give movie, it seven me, movie by movies. I'm getting out of here. I'm sick of working with this subpart out that doesn't know a good movie when they see one. I'm getting out of here.